Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Broadband Bunch. I'm your host, Joe Coldabella, and we are in Houston, Texas at Broadband Communities, uh, coming to you from the Harrison Edwards Summit Studio. Joining me is Greg Wilson, the founder of AEX, or Automation Exchange. Greg, uh, welcome to the Broadband Bunch. Yeah, thanks for having me. Hey, it's uh, it's great to hear you. Obviously, we're in Houston, but your accent is a little bit different um, than the the typical Southern drawl. Um, if you could, could you just give our audience a little bit, um, a little background about yourself? Yes, I was uh, born and raised in South Africa. Okay, uh, I've been involved in uh, the telecommunication industry over there for the the past twenty odd years, and uh, yeah, find find myself here in America and uh, having a lot of fun. Awesome, awesome. And so, um, could you just uh, unpack for us um, a little bit about your your company, Automation Exchange? Yeah. So, um, I, I think I need to start a, a little bit before Automation Exchange to fill you in in the picture. That's great. So, Perfect. Um, you know, I started my my first business some twenty three years ago called uh, uh, Reflex Solutions um, in the enterprise IT space. So, you know, looking after corporate South Africa with all the their IT needs, and we invested uh, quite heavily in infrastructure in the early days, data centers and metro fiber networks and those types of things to be able to service that. Um, and about ten years ago, the fiber to the home industry started to get kicked off in in South Africa. Okay. And um, what culminated in in the fiber industry getting kicked off so early was that we were serviced by um, uh, copper networks that were um, based off telephone uh, telephone services. So, uh, and then they put ADSL on top of that. Okay. And, and our ADSL was was pretty poor. You know, we we were talking four megs or maybe ten meg services. Uh, on that that DSL and um, you know the networks weren't incredibly well maintained um, and in on top of that we had a lot of theft of the copper um, really okay know, wow and it actually had value so the guys would steal the cables and melt it down and sell the sell the copper cable off um, to make a little bit of money and you can imagine you know uh, what uh, subscriber service that resulted in was pretty poor I would assume that yeah people would be a little upset yeah absolutely. Um, and uh, what we found is that there were a few startup companies simultaneously that said, hey, why, well, why don't we roll out fiber? And um, one of the more interesting stories of, of how that came about is there was a security company uh, that was rolling out CCTV cameras to, to help with some of the security situation. And uh, they were putting uh, cameras on street corners and testing out some new technology to do license plate recognition and, um, you know, look at uh, for abnormal behavior um, in certain environments, those types of things. And, and these cameras needed to be connected back to a data center. I- initially, they hooked these cameras up with, uh, with Wi-Fi technology. Um, okay. And that didn't yield the stability that you really needed to to uh, be able to look at these camera fees and have consistent recordings and those types of things. And they said, well, what other technologies can we use? And they, they went to fiber. So they started stringing fiber up on the poles to connect all these cameras up. And then a lot of people said, hey, we, we're putting all this fiber up. We're passing a lot of homes. Why don't we use this fiber for internet as well? And... Uh, you know that's that's where some of these ideas were born out of to say well hey let's let's put in uh, fiber internet you know we we can do this uh, uh we we've got the city on board with allowing us to put fiber on the poles uh, we sort of understand our costs of doing this and we think we can provide a great service and um uh, these guys that were hooking up security cameras were actually our very first client so they they came to reflex and they said hey we know you've got a data center in the area 
Um, we know you've got skills around doing this. You know, we, we don't understand how to do the technology side. We understand how to do security. Uh, can you guys help? And, you know, we, we sat down and we thought about this and we said, well, we've actually got all the components that we need to really help with this. You know, we've got the transmission networks to be able to connect all the suburbs up. Uh, we've got the data centers to terminate these connections. We've got some software platforms that we can help with uh, some of the operations here. And we, we said, sure, we, we, we'll do this. And in a very short space of time, we built a product catalog um, to... Uh, to basically service these uh, guys that were trying to roll out fiber and trying to do something different in the market. That's crazy. So there was the, the that's the true um, silver lining in terms of of uh, you know turning something that that was bad into something really really good. You know, before we get to to AEX, I would love it maybe if we could talk a little bit more about South Africa in general in terms of um, you know. Is it uh, one of those things where is it fiber is everywhere or is it the major cities? It's, I would love it if you could sort of unpack that story for us. Yeah, so um, South South Africa's got sort of three major cities, um, being Johannesburg, Cape Town, and, and Durban, okay. and those those were the initial focus areas for the rollout. Where you know everybody focused on the high dense, you know. Uh, environment that was also considered high LSM, you know, the low, the low hanging fruit as, sure. uh, as we would call it. Um, and then, and then once we, once we had deployed all of those houses, then people started looking to regional towns. Now the, the regional towns in South Africa can be quite far apart from each other sure, and, uh, can also be quite small, you know, so 20, 30,000 houses in the bigger regional towns and going right down to two or, or 3,000 houses in the smaller towns. Um, and those were obviously challenging to to roll out because you've got these huge uh, distances that you need to, you know, find national backhaul for. Uh, and then you've also got to deal with all the the operational challenges with dealing with these smaller towns, you know, far away. But but that was the next portion of the rollout that that was done. So all of those smaller towns are now rolled out and uh, been rolled out on various models. Um, and then you know people were starting to say, well, now we're running out of places to go and put more fiber in. Um, and then, you know, there was a whole market that we hadn't really considered before, which is the, the very low income earners. You know, these, these are households where, um, you know, they, the, the annual household income is less than $3,000 a, a, a year. Okay. Um, you know, and, and previously we thought, well, that's just not feasible to go and roll out fiber, um, you know, to, to these houses. And then, uh, you know, some smart guys said, well, um, you know, is, is it impossible? And uh, they said, well, well, let's give it a try. We've got, you know, we've got nothing to lose here. Let's go and do a small rollout of 5,000 homes and let's go and see if we can make this feasible. And that, that took a match the effort from everybody in the industry to say, well, we've got to get more efficient, right? You know, the cost of the materials has got to be lower. The cost of labor has got to be lower. The operational cost has got to be lower. Um, and we, we made all that happen and we went and rolled into to one of these uh, very low income area uh, areas and uh, lo and behold it worked you know the the uptake was great um, people signed up faster than they'd ever signed up in any of the uh, you know the areas where it was higher income really okay wow that's great yeah and you know it's one of those things where you know broadband is the great equalizer it's one of those things where you, if you give folks an opportunity you know and and educate them, you know the the possibilities are limitless. Absolutely. Um, so yeah. To, uh, so hopefully that gives you a bit of a view of where we are in the South African market. You know we've we've continued to increase the market size. Um, you know, uh, knock down barriers and and um, you know really get uh, fiber to absolutely everyone that we can do. You know, and I, th I think we're at the point now where um, 
you know, the overall market size is around uh, 6 million homes and we've almost rolled out those, those 6 million homes. That's absolutely awesome. That's yeah. incredible. Um, so, you know, obviously you've, you've done phenomenal work in South Africa. And so then you sort of, uh, decided maybe that, uh, there was another place that you guys would venture into. And so you guys have decided, or you guys are now in the States. I would love it if you could sort of unpack that. Yeah. So, um, you know, we realized that, that the market was going to reach maturity at some point in South Africa and we, we would still do incredibly well as a company. You know, we've got a lot of annuity revenue from all, all the networks that we've helped roll out. Um, but we felt that, you know, there was, there was still a bigger story for us. Um, you know, so we did a bit of research around the world, um, to understand, uh, you know, are our learnings and our IP that we've gained in, in South Africa relevant elsewhere in the world? And can we take this IP? Um, and we did some research. We made an investment into the uh, United Kingdom. Uh, that worked out well for us. Um, we we looked at other markets um, and we, we really settled on America as being a really great market for us to roll out. You know, I think there were a couple of factors or parallels to the South African market. You know, one was uh, the market is very fractured. There's there's a lot of different telecommunication players here. Um, also, the, um, fiber penetration was still fairly low in the US, you know, and I'm talking four years ago when we started this model and um, it hadn't really yet started picking up in terms of, you know, a big fiber overbuilt project. Um, and we could also see that there was lots of different models emergence in emerging, some of them being open access, some of them being driven by co-ops or electrical utilities, some being, you know, overbuilders, and then and then some being the incumbents themselves wanting to roll out fiber. And and we thought, well, this mix of um you know, people rolling out fiber in the market is absolutely perfect for us because we've got an answer for for most of the market in terms of just how we can be relevant in their lives and how we can help them with this uh, with this fiber rollout and and differentiate ourselves. So, in terms of automation exchange, could you sort of just give a top line in terms of of what it is you do? Because it's one of those things where you know we're here at this event and everyone's talking about infrastructure and builds, but then at the end of the day, right? These these um these ISPs need to operate. So I would love it if you could sort of just share with our audience what exactly Automation uh, Exchange does. Yeah, 100%. Uh, along the way, as we as we started um, you know, getting involved with the networks and helping them build these networks out, we realized very early that if we don't we don't automate these processes and we don't um, you know, have a software platform to manage um, the, the business process automation, um, we, we're never going to cope with the scale and, and certainly not do it at the right cost level. Um, so we, you know, from from the ground up, you know, first of all, we went out and we looked to market and we said, is there is there a suitable product for us to to adopt? You know, no, nobody wants to, you know, reinvent the wheel and only write the software if it doesn't already exist. And we 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 had a good look in the market and realized there's absolutely nothing that's really close to what we want to achieve. And and what we wanted to achieve is is um, you know, a modern platform that was software as a service, you know, using all the modern database technologies and modern API integrations and those types of things. But also, you know, something that was all encompassing right from um, when, um, you know, a, a user goes and sees if fiber is feasible in the area, you know, through to placing an order, um, capturing billing details, running through that installation process of getting an engineer out to your house to actually install the fiber, getting it up and running, through to equipment automation, um, through to the billing processes, and then ultimately looking after that customer from all of the 
operational processes that need to happen, upgrades, downgrades, you know, moving homes or, you know, equipment replacement, all of these types of things. And, you know, we found out there, there were one or two providers that were focusing on, you know, something very, very specific, maybe just the equipment uh, provisioning or just the field uh, services management, but nothing that really tied it together. Um, and and that's what we wanted to achieve. So after we had we had looked and realized there was there was nothing out there, we said, well, we we have to create this. So and and that's when we founded uh, Automation Exchange, and and launched the business. So we we employed a CEO, we employed a development team, and and we developed the software from the ground up as as the needs uh, in our own networks and in our customers' networks demanded. So, you know, the, the first uh, iteration was we, we thought we would automate the equipment side first, and it was actually a horrible failure, to be honest. So why is that? I'm just curious, because it's one of those things where it always fascinates me in terms of, you know, we, we take a direction and all of a sudden, for whatever reason, we need to pivot. Exactly, and this is a great example of that where the automation of, of the actual configuration of the equipment worked just fine. But the thing that kept on failing was is we had poor data going into the system. So, you know, we'd have technicians running around and, uh, you know, putting ONTs into people's houses and taking pictures of the serial numbers and then, you know, texting those pictures through to a call center who would then capture the, the details into our system. And what in invariably would happen is these numbers would get mixed up. So the wrong, you know, serial number would be captured against the wrong address, the wrong speed of service. And then it was a complete nightmare because we had provisioned it successfully, but we had provisioned the wrong speed for the wrong client at the wrong address. Okay. And, uh, and, and that's why it was, was a failure. And then, and then we realized that, that, um, you know, in order to fix this and make sure we've got a better consistency of service, is we, we're going to have to start capturing information earlier in the process. And the best way to capture that was actually on the order. You know, let's let let the customer tell us what speed they want, who they want it from. Because uh, you know, one one of the things we can touch on a little, little bit later is that South Africa is an open access market, which also made the business processes uh, more complex with with having an indirect model. Um, you know, to to the subscribers. But, uh, you know, back to the software, we'd let the subscriber feed in all that information. And then effectively, we, we could then really own the data all the way end to end and make sure that we had a successful uh, provision of the service and automation of that uh, technical side of the network. Um, and as soon as we, we clicked and we realized that and we implemented it, you know, that, that just changed the service level that we we're offering clients and the speed of which the network could be built because we now lo no longer had these very complex people intensive processes, um, you know, trying to, to, or creating bottlenecks in, in the business. Sure, sure. And um, in terms of the automation, so the idea, so so in terms of it was the focus on the data. So it's one of those, is it one of those things where if you start at the beginning, it, it makes it a much easier journey? Why is that? I, th I, th I think it's all about the data accuracy um, and collecting the data that you want in the format that you want it with less, um, you know, transformation either between systems or swivel tray, you know, with people, um, you know, taking information out of one system, inputting it, that just creates all these potential areas for inaccuracy of data and those types of things. So, um, and then, and then it also, you know, we, we started, you know, AR was also, I guess, a thing, you know, starting to formulate in those days. And we started dreaming and saying, well, you know, if, if we collect all the data now, we're going to be able to use it for other things right, la right. later down the line. Um, and we've already seen some of those um, uh, features uh, surface in our software. You know, to, to give you an example is, um, uh, you know, one, one thing people don't know is that the, the ONTs have got a feature in it called dying gasp. 
And it's actually one of the best descriptions for, for a feature I've ever heard. But uh, <laughs> each of these ONTs have got um, a little capacitor in it that if they lose utility power, they've got just enough power to send out a little command to the network to say, hey, I've just lost power, die and gasp. So, um, and, and we can actually collect this information on the network. Now, if you, if you close your eyes and start dreaming in terms of what we can do with this data on, on a big data platform, you know, with a bit of AI and machine learning on top of it, you know, we, we can now see if we get, um, you know, call it 2,000 alerts that, uh, you know, 2,000 subscribers have just lost power. You know, we, we can say quite confidently that that must be utility power failure. We don't really need to act on it as a network. When the utility power comes back on, people's internet will come back up. Whereas if we receive an alarm for one or two people simultaneously, we, we can assume that it's, you know, they've, 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 uh, you know, unplug the, the ONT for another purpose. And then we send them a text message saying, hey, we see you've just unplugged your ONT, you know, just be mindful of it and, and plug it back in and give us a call. So we're able to start to turning, you know, broadband service are typically reactive service. You have to wait for the subscriber to phone us. We're able to start turning these things into proactive services by really, you know, using the data more effectively. And then if we take that one one step further, you can imagine if we receive 5,000 notifications that, uh, you know, 5,000 subscribers have gone down, but we don't receive the power alarms, then we could quite confidently say, well, it, it, there must actually be a fiber break. And then if we start understanding the the network architecture, we can actually say, well, all, all 5,000 of those clients connect to this, this handhold. And uh, we can quite confidently say there's probably a break inside that, uh, that handhold and dispatch engineers. Okay. And then so, and is the great thing about this, so it's all automated. And so then, so when there's those huge flares, it's one of those things where um, you're able to dissect and and designate in terms of, of what needs to be done. But then also, does that give the opportunity for when there are singular problems for you to focus on those in terms of just providing better service for the sub subscriber? Yeah, you, you hit the nail on the head, you know, if because uh, I think everybody's got the ability to see which services are up or down. But the problem in a fiber to the home network, there's so many false positives, you can't actually action on that. So what we use the big data and, and, and the machine learning to do is effectively try and, you know, take take away the noise of, of the events that we don't need to action on and and bring the events that we do need to action on to, you know, your service desk's attention so that they can action on it. And then also push that information proactively to the end subscribers so that they can also be part of that process and feel well informed in terms of how their service is uh, performing. So I'm just curious because it, it, it's the, you know, I think the pandemic, at least in the States, shines sort of a light on terms of like how important both, um, you know, uptake and, and download speeds are. But I think right now we're still at uh, the beginning stages of, of that, that, um, that the downloading of to the networks in terms of things that are in our houses. Is that just going to grow exponentially? Yeah, it's it's absolutely going to grow, and uh, it's it's probably uh, you know one of the other differences I should have mentioned about South Africa to the US. So you know I've relocated my family here, and so I'm I'm, I'm living the American dream. And uh, you know one one of the things that just uh, absolutely surprised me is the number of connected items in the home. Right. You know my light switches are now connected. My my doorbell is connected. My washing machine tumble dryer. My fridge is connected to the internet. You know, and, and uh, like initially it didn't didn't make sense to me why would you want to connect all these devices and then and then I started understanding once I was in the ecosystem you know I had uh, you know I had Alexa they you know 
coordinating all these devices and telling me when somebody's at the door and and then it all started making sense but you know it also dawned on me that if you don't have a reliable internet connection your your life is actually going to come to to a standstill you can imagine if you've ordered your amazon package it's a a key delivery that your garage door needs to open automatically i mean all of that comes to a halt if your internet's down right right and i you know it's it's crazy how uh how much more the tidal wave is going to be just in the in the next you know i think we're just getting a trickle now just in terms of every um few months new things come online and as a perfect example in terms of chat gpt all right it's just one of those things where it was a little bit of you know people talked about ai a little bit and then all of a sudden it's just been this avalanche of opportunity yeah i agree 100% and uh, you know I, th- I think what you're going to realize is it's it's not just volume but it's also that the way we consume bandwidth we need it to be more reliable and and we also need it to be more symmetrical you know initially when internet was launched we were mainly consuming data we were downloading information from the internet now if you look at the way we're collaborating you know we we're on uh, zoom calls and teams calls which which is using upload and download bandwidth you know we've got a our doorbell has now got a camera on it and it's actually streaming information out to a cloud server that's that's storing those recordings for security purpose later i mean you know if if you're just running a call it one zoom call and you know a camera and maybe one online game you you could be using you know 10 15 megabit per second of upload speed you know a lot of the traditional copper technologies are, you know any support you know 20 megabit per second up so you you can use that up pretty pretty quickly and then on top of that your latency becomes quite important so that's how long it takes the data to get from one point to the next now on on a pure um you know download uh, consumption it doesn't make that much difference if you're wa- watching a video if it gets to you a couple of seconds late it doesn't make a difference but if you're having a conversation like we're having now right. and there was a couple of seconds delay it would be a pretty awkward conversation to have you know and that's that's where fiber technology um you know can just excel i think in terms of uptime so always being available you know just the glass you know not being affected by um environmental factors and then also you know with with the speed of light just bringing lower latency to all these things it, it really brings the quality of service that you're actually looking for it's not just about the speed so i think uh, you know people need to understand it's it's also about the quality of that bandwidth uh, getting to you so uh, you said that you uh, located to north carolina uh, why did you choose north carolina yeah so f- for us um you know i think we realized we were going to still have some of our operations based back in south africa so it was important for us to be on the east coast just so that the time zone uh, changes is not as big as it would be uh, you know in, in the central or the, or the west of america and um you know then when we looked at the various cities that were on the east coast uh, we just felt charlotte would be a great place for us to to set up shop you know it's a big banking capital um there's also um a big tech hub um you know on on the east coast in charlotte so we felt that access to skills and you know being able to build teams was going to be a good place and then it, it just seems like a great city to live you know so if we bringing people and asking them to move their families from from south africa um you know it, it really felt like a place people can set up home and uh, you know be be happy to live in in the city so i've relocated my my own family into charlotte and uh, yeah I, i love the place it's a really great city awesome awesome and so so is the is so that's the the home base and so is the objective to 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 go out from there in terms of other other states or is it is it you're going to primarily stay in north carolina and then expand from there Yeah I think um our office is uh, certainly going to be based in in Charlotte North Carolina um but you know as we expand our our customer base uh, throughout uh, 
the US, um, we will have teams where they need it. Um, so especially with implementation of projects, um, you know, we put teams on our customer site to help them onboard the software and get up and running quickly. And then when it comes down to our engineering services that we offer, those, those things need to happen on site. You need engineers to actually go and plug in the equipment and get it up and running and run out there when it breaks. So we'll, we'll definitely expand that team, you know, to wherever we have a, a, a client need. Awesome. Um, so in today's uh, press conference, you said that you um, hitch your wagon to to the ISPs you work with. I would love it if you could sort of share that um, with our audience, because I think it was a really great point. Yeah. So what, what we decided early on is that we want to take risk with our clients and, and help them grow. It's, it's, it's not only part of the value that we can add in terms of um, helping our customers fund their businesses. You know, if, if they've got to raise capital, it's, ho- it's a hard enough process without now having to raise capital to spend on software, right? Um, you know, it's, it's one thing to convince a capital provider to to give you some capital to spend on, you know, a tangible asset that's going to be under the ground, you know, a piece, piece of fiber and a, and a duct. And another thing to spend on software that's, you know, that, that's maybe got no tangible value if, if, the, sure. business, if the business didn't do well. Um, so, so we felt that that was the start of you know who we wanted to be um, in in the market, and then the next thing we wanted to do is we wanted to be relevant to our clients um, in terms of making sure that we're aligned in terms of helping their business grow. So you'll see in all of our product catalogs, we we operate on a risk based model. So we um, uh, we charge a price per subscriber that goes live. So a customer only starts paying us from from when the sub- first subscriber goes live, and that means our interests are one hundred percent aligned in growing their business as quickly as possible. Because we only do well when their business grows well. That's great. And then if we could sort of circle back in terms of of open access, in terms of you're saying that that's the sort of standard in um, South Africa. Uh, so is that something that you want to bring here as well, or is it can you can you use other systems as well? Yeah, so um, South Africa is predominantly, I think, 95% of the networks are rolled out as open access. So that's where uh, the network owner um, is not necessarily the company that services the subscriber. Often there's a service provider that would buy a wholesale service from the network and then add things like Wi-Fi, the internet bandwidth, IP addresses, those types of things, and then sell the service to the subscriber. Um, so that's certainly where we where we cut our teeth. Um we realized early on that the US market doesn't have such a big penetration of open access and is more closed access market. So early on, and I'm talking, you know, two, three years back, we, we um, had to work on modifying our software and enhancing some of the features to be able to both be able to do well in an, in an open access network as well in, in a closed access network or a retail model. That's great. That's great. So we've made those changes and um, we're certainly happy to give clients advice if they'd like to understand the differences between open and closed access and get our view on it. But we don't influence it either way. You know, our, our job is there to support the clients in their chosen business model and make sure that we've got all the features to to be able to deliver on uh, on what they want to take to market. That's awesome. So in terms of just, so, so for you, speed is a big thing, right? So if we could sort of like pivot a little bit, um, you know, in terms of the, the press conference, uh, we, uh, you sort of shared with the, the, the group, um, 
your your hobby. I would love if you could share with us because it's always interesting in terms of when we talk to the different folks in in the in the broadband world uh, to see how they get here into the into the space, and then also just things that that uh, rev their motor, so to speak. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, good point. Yeah, so I've uh, uh, you know one of my hobbies for the past fifteen years has been uh, uh, motorsport. So. Uh, I've raced a, a, a open wheel circuit car, something called a, a Formula V. Uh, I think for the people that don't understand what it is, it looks similar to an Indy car, but but they're not as fast as an Indy car, right? Uh, this is a this is a hobby sport, um, but but super competitive sport. Um, it's a national championship where you know there's twenty to thirty guys that race in this this championship, and. Uh, uh, you 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 race um, about nine times a, a year. You get points for those races, and whoever's got the most points at the the end of the season uh, wins the the annual championship. So hotly contested championship. Uh, it's been an absolutely great sport for for me and my family because it's not just about the adrenaline of you know racing. There's there's a lot around it. You know, you, you know, in order to be competitive, you need to have a really well prepared car, and and that meant that I had to learn a whole lot of new skill sets were very different to the IT industry. Right. Uh, you know, I'd, I all of a sudden had to learn how to weld and um, you know use a lathe and a milling machine and rebuild gearboxes, uh, which has just been a great uh, great hobby to have. Um, and I've I've enjoyed uh, you know just the difference I guess of you know getting out of the telecommunications world and you know on the weekend uh, you know putting on a an old T-shirt with holes in it and uh, you know going and getting greasy in my in my workshop. No, I think we all, all need that. We all need that. Um, we need to literally unplug from what we're doing and sort of fire different synapses, sort of just allow the brain to rest, or if nothing else, maybe get, get new ideas. So now. Uh, have you gone to any NASCAR events, or have you been to the Indy 500? Or are those sort of on your your list? I've I've been to the 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 NASCAR at the Charlotte Speedway, and uh, it was a great experience. Uh, you know, I think um, uh, we've all got these, uh, I guess, views of uh, different sports before you actually see them. And right, uh, I, I must say, NASCAR just blew me away. It was was a great event. You can you can see the whole race from you know from the stands, which is very different to you know a lot of circuit car racing like Formula One, where you can only see one or two corners right right and um yeah i think um the the fact that all the cars are fairly well balanced makes it much more of a driver's sport which i which i think is quite exciting and uh you know grabbing a big old uh, turkey leg and uh, eating in the stands was uh, quite a unique experience now you're going to try to get behind one of the, uh, behind the wheel I would, I would absolutely love to, and I think they've got a program where I can go and drive one. So I wouldn't mind uh, testing my skills and, uh, and, uh, and and seeing if I can hold my own on a NASCAR track. Awesome. And then in terms of the Indy 500, is that also one of the things that you'd like to see? Yeah, I haven't seen it yet, but uh, definitely want to make it there. Uh, I think also um, Formula One really seems to be uh, taking taking hold in the US, you know. So, Absolutely, yeah. Uh, you know, the Vegas Grand Prix or the Miami Grand Prix look like they could be a lot of fun and I'd love to love to get over to them. Right, because so, I was going to say, it's like if there's any ISPs in these cities, right, they're going to get a, a knock on the door. But Greg, this has been an absolutely phenomenal visit. Uh, where can folks go to learn more about AEX? Uh, so our, our website is aexinc.com. Awesome. It's been a great visit. Thanks so much. Uh, look forward to catching up with you in the future. And thanks for being a guest. Great. Thank you very much. All right. That's going to wrap up this episode of the Broadband Bunch. Until next time, we'll see you guys later. Mm-hmm.